In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. So sang uh, perhaps the greatest band of all time, the Beatles, in 1969. And uh, it's a song that claims wisdom for times of trouble. Just let it be. Not so much the old British resolve of keep calm and carry on, but chill out and carry on. Just chill out. Uh, some have thought this was a song written about um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, and some kind of hearkening back to their religious uh, youth, their religious upbringing for strength in troubled times. But actually, um, apparently this is Paul McCartney. He had a dream. His mum died when he was uh, young, I think uh, even, not even yet a teenager. And a time later in life, when he was having a difficult time, his mum appeared to him in a dream. And she said, just let it be, Paul. Just let it be. And so this song came about. And in so many senses, the 60s is the decade that our culture, this was written in the 60s, it's a decade our culture has never really left. And so this is still the theme tune for so many of life. When we find ourselves in times of trouble, what do you do? Where do you go for comfort and strength to go on? Chill out, let go, let God, just let it be. Just let it be. Don't worry so much. Whatever's going to happen will happen. Just let it be. When you're troubled and you're perplexed and you're confused by what life throws at you, can we as Christians do any better than let it be? I think we can. Mary, the mother of Jesus, gives us a much better and a much uh, more helpful and on-point example of how to respond when it feels like life is troubling and confusing and overwhelming which it will do for, for several, many of us today. So let's dive into to, to this uh, Luke. Just keep it open what Naomi read, Luke 1. It's really helpful to, to be looking back and seeing this is God's word. Uh, and this is, this is what we're going to see. First thing is this, receiving God's grace in his promised king. God's grace is for you this morning, guys. Approximately six months after 
Gabriel last week uh, was sent to Zechariah at the temple in Jerusalem. He gets his orders from God again, and now he's sent to uh, Nazareth in Galilee. Now, this couldn't be more different, okay? It's a bit like going from the corridors of power in, in, in the House of Parliament in Westminster, kind of on your first commission, and then your second one, you're sent to this poor estate on the edge of Warsaw. Okay, it's, it's kind of chalk and cheese. And Nazareth, Nazareth is the kind of play, place that people would say, what good can come from Nazareth? Like, it's that kind of place. And what's more, this angel, who has been in the very presence of God, is sent to Mary, this young girl who's engaged to this local carpenter called Joseph, that is young, relatively poor couple, trying to find their place in the world. It's hardly the great and the good of the world, but here he is, he's sent to her. Now, before we go on, we can just pause uh, and think about that for a moment, can't we? Why? Why would God choose to do it this way? Why these people? He doesn't need to, surely. Surely he could achieve his, uh, his, what he wanted to achieve through, through um, slightly more kind of impressive and powerful and, and educated and wealthy and successful people. He could, couldn't he? But we're learning something here of the character of God. How God likes to work. That God stoops low. God comes from the heights of heaven to the lowest on earth to do his work in and through the least likely. If you think you're too small for God today, if you think you're too poor, you're too young, you're too old, you're too uneducated, you're too weak, you're too ill, you're too messed up, you're too insignificant, whatever else it is, Mary reminds us God is interested in us. He cares for you. See how God delights to stoop low. God seems to have a special place in his heart and his purposes for the least of all people. God stoops low, and when he comes to Mary, he does it to bestow his favour. Do you see that? That's what the, how the angel greets uh, Mary. And the word favour here, actually, another word we could use for it is grace, which is a word that we use in church quite a lot. Grace is God's undeserved favour and loving kindness given to those who don't deserve it and who don't earn it. So, so this is what the angel has to say in verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly graced. And uh, verse 30. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour. You have found grace with God. Mary has found grace with God. Or maybe a better way of saying it is that God's grace has found out Mary. Now, many are confused about uh, these verses, and and, and they get to think that saying that this is telling us that Mary herself is full of grace in and of herself. And so people kind of worship Mary and pray to her and ask her to give them grace from what she has. But that isn't what Gabriel is saying here. And we'll see next week, that isn't how Mary thinks of herself. And it certainly isn't what grace is when we understand it as the Bible defines it. Gabriel is saying, Mary, you have been graced by God. God has given you his favour. Mary is nothing much. She's just a humble girl from Nazareth, minding her own business, and the grace of God comes and searches her out. The grace of God tracks her down and explodes into her life, and something spectacular happens. Now, no wonder then, Mary is greatly troubled, we read, at this greeting. That means she's confused. She's perplexed at the angel's words. What does this mean? How does this make sense? 
The God of all things. The God of, God of our fathers giving me his grace. Why me? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. See, guys, when you receive the gift of God's grace, when you realize what he gives to you in the gospel, when you encounter his love and kindness and his favor that you don't deserve, you too are astounded. You say, why me? Why me, God? Who am I that the highest king would come so low to me? Look, it beggars belief, doesn't it? The king of all history, the king of all things would choose to love and bestow his grace on me. That is astounding and that is spectacular. God's grace is for you this morning. Just drink that in. And God's grace, you see, has a name. Verse 31. Angel says, you'll conceive Mary and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. So what does it look like for Mary to receive God's grace? It is for her to receive Jesus, God's son. Quite literally and physically for her, isn't it? See, grace in Jesus, what we're talking about here is what distinguishes Christianity. It's it's, uh, what, what we believe and what we have as Christians and in this church is not like anyone else has. It's not what any other religion offers to people. It's not what any other belief system delivers on because we have Jesus, the one who is grace, the only one who is grace. He is the favor and the undeserved kindness of God to us. Grace is not a thing. Grace is not a feeling. It's not some kind of vague spiritual experience of some sort that makes you feel better about yourself and about life. Grace is a person, God himself given to us in Jesus. And this one who is the grace of God, this one who brings the grace of God, this son promised to Mary is out of this, from out of this world and he's going to be epic. As, as, as the angel introduces him to her, he, he says this, his name's going to be Jesus, That means um, the Lord is salvation. We read elsewhere that the reason he's given that name is because he's going to save his people from their sins. Angel says he's going to be called, um, he's going to be great and he's going to be called the son of the most high, the son of God. And he's God's promised king in David's line uh, who's going to rule over God's people and his kingdom will never, ever end. Mary's probably just, I don't know, she was maybe like washing her clothes or something, and then this just, this just comes into her life, and it just explodes, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's unreal. God's grace comes to Mary from out of nowhere. Well, it's not out of nowhere, but to her, it seems like it's out of nowhere, and she gets it by receiving the person of the Son of God in herself. And so do we. When, when John writes his story of Jesus' life, he writes in, uh, in, in, in chapter 1, he writes this. He, he's talking about Jesus. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is deeply Deeply personal. God comes to offer his grace to us and his promised king, his own son. 
And as he does it, he wants to make us his children. Will you receive this gift of grace and so become a child of God? Have you received this gift of grace and so become a child of God? Or will and do you refuse to accept him? Refuse to receive him? There is no other place, there is no other person who brings you favour and loving kindness of the God who made you, who loves you and who has good for you. It's only Jesus. He just changed Mary's whole world. And it's changing the lives of people in this room as well, even today. Secondly, and trusting yourself to God's plan and his promised king. You see, what overflows from a heart and a life that's truly captured by the grace of Christ? Well, another great artist who I love, um, called Stormzy, who's, who's still uh, singing and rapping today, has this song called Blinded by Your Grace. And, and here's some lyrics uh, from this song. He says, Lord, I've been broken. Although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. I said a prayer this morning. I prayed I would find a way to another day. I was so afraid till you came and saved. And the rain was pouring because the sun faded away. Now I'm in a better place, no longer afraid. Blinded by your grace, you came and saved me. Now you hear those lyrics, and I, I mean, I think they're cracking lyrics, aren't they? And it seems to be about this same grace. I don't know where Stormzy stands with Jesus, but it seems to me, actually, that the grace that he sings of has next to no power for change or transformation in his life. If you listen to one of his albums, be warned, there's going to be a lot of uh, bad language in them. Uh, And there's a lifestyle that they reflect, and a lifestyle that he lives, that does not seem to be shaped by the grace of God. So he's a great rapper, but I don't know where he's at with Jesus. This is what I call the Stormzy spirituality. Grace for him is this kind of spiritual experience, this kind of therapeutic spirituality that makes him feel better. He's had some kind of spiritual experience, I'm sure, but it isn't transformative. Uh, It isn't a transformative encounter of a real person of Jesus, it doesn't seem. And so he speaks and sings of God generically, but I've never once heard him talk of the person and the work of Jesus. Now, I'm not here to get at Stormzy. I I love him. (laughs) He's great. But this kind of spirituality, this kind of approach to life is everywhere around us. It's all over the five estates that many of us live in, and it's right across our city. So many who claim the label Christian, who talk about grace in this kind of generic way, who use stuff like God and talk about the Bible and whatever else, as if it's this thing, grace is this thing that you can own or this experience you can have, and yet they have no clue about what it looks like to live a grace-fueled Christian life, and seemingly no desire or inclination to do so. And this is where some of us in this room this morning are, I fear. That's what the spiritual life looks like for us. It's a lot of God talk, it's a lot of grace talk, and so little Jesus. We need to see that receiving the grace of Christ, a true encounter with a person who is real and living and comes to us from God. When we've had that, it leads us to entrust ourselves to God's plan for us in his promised king. That transforms, that takes hold of our life and just sets it in in a new direction. The grace of Christ leads us to live the way of Christ. Now Mary here is an example to us of that. So similar to uh, Zechariah last week, Mary can't quite track what the angel is saying. 
She can't make sense of it according to logic or the natural order of things, because it doesn't make sense. Verse 34, she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? And here we come to one of the weirder things that Christians believe, right? The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is out there, guys, right? In fact, it's so weird that people don't know what to make of it. And so some claim this is an idea borrowed from Greek mythology where the gods come and have sex with women and that kind of stuff. Or, or some Christians think that this is talking, um, this immaculate conception is about Mary being sinless and perfect rather than her status as a virgin. Uh, others, like Muslims, think that we believe that Mary has sex with God and that's how, how Jesus comes about and, and, and he's born. Or, or more recently, maybe just out of, I think, embarrassment at this whole thing. Progressive Christians uh, think, well, that's a bit foolish to believing, isn't it? So what do we lose if we lose the virgin birth? Not much. Let's just get rid of that. And, and maybe this means young girl rather than, you know, virgin, which is normally what virgin means. It means virgin often, doesn't it? Look, Luke has told us he's writing history. The early church tells us that Luke interviewed Mary directly to get his source material for this account. And in her old age, as Luke interviews her, she's standing by this clay. This is not a myth from prehistory. This is not some sexual liaison between God and Mary. This is the totally unique claim of a virgin conception and birth in history. And it's what Christians of all stripes and all types across the world and through history have claimed and believed. We've expressed it together that we believe in this together this morning. Did you, did you hear that when we read the Apostles' Creed together? We've said that together today, and we've said it with Christians across the world who have declared that faith with us today, and through history who have done it for nearly 2,000 years. We said, I believe in Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. There it is, right at the center of our main declaration of faith that we have, a man born of a virgin. And the point should not be lost on us that that isn't how stuff normally goes down. It's not what you would expect to happen. That's kind of exactly the point. And Mary thought the same too. She knows how babies come to be. So uh, she's just about ready to have, you know, the chat with Angel Gabriel. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees. I don't know how it works with angels, but this is how it works with humans, Gabriel, you know? Do you not understand? Another way of, of, of saying Mary's response is, how can this be? I have never been with a man. It's not, I'm too young. It's Gabriel, I've never had sex. This doesn't work that way. See, Mary's pledged to be married to Joseph. This is an old English word called betrothed. Remember when people used to be betrothed? Well, we don't remember it, do we? But it was in the old days. It's, it's a bit like being... Or betrothed is the translation of this, sorry, it's not, it's not actually the old English word. But it's a bit like being engaged to someone, but it's even more commitment. So if you were to break off the engagement, you'd actually need a divorce to, to do so. But importantly, not yet fully married, so therefore not yet engaged in a sexual relationship and sleeping together. And so Mary is puzzled at this news, given her, her, her life and, and where she's at in life. And different to Zechariah, her question, how will this be, this is... A legitimate question asked in faith-seeking understanding. His was a question asked in uh, doubt and unbelief. God, I don't know what's going on here. This is way above my pay grade. How can this happen? How can this be? And the answer is, is crystal clear in many senses, and yet it retains much mystery. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One uh, the Holy One to be born will be called 
the Son of God. This is the Son of God, and so it will be a work of the Holy Spirit of God to bring about this baby in the, in, in the womb of Mary. And we need a, a reverent reserve when talking about this. God has not seen fit to reveal to us the mechanics or the technicalities of how the egg was fertilized and Jesus began life on earth as a little zygote. God doesn't tell us how. We need to say with confidence and believe what we can say, what scripture tells us, and not go further than that. For the secret things, God's word says, belong to the Lord, but the things revealed are for us and for our children forever so we may follow him. What we do know, what is crystal clear from what Gabriel says, this is a work of new creation of the Holy Spirit of God. This is no work of any human. This is a miraculous work of God, an out-of-the-ordinary event, and it's not by natural means that Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who comes upon, who overshadows, and who conceives the King of Kings and the Son of God in her. Now, the language here is used to link to the Holy Spirit's work elsewhere. His, his first work of creation, when he overshadowed or hovered over the, the, the formless and empty earth and brought it to life and his first creative act, and then also his ongoing work of new creation, which is going to come when, when it says the Holy, Luke records, the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people on the day of Pentecost in power to bring them to the fullness of new life in Christ themselves. And that's the, a, a new and ongoing work of the Spirit bringing new life. And there's nothing that Mary or any person can do to bring this about. There's nothing uh, that that, that any human achieves this with. In fact, the word conceive in verse verse 31 is this a passive uh, word. It's being taken hold of. It's something happening to her. And so it's a work of the Spirit of God because the one to be born is called the Son of God. He's not born of natural descent or the will of man, but he's born of God's. Now, we Christians get so used to this, don't we? I mean, normally we think about this lots at Christmas time each year, don't we? And, and we just get so used to it that we forget how unbelievable and how amazing it is. The God who has always existed and lived, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator and sustainer who, who thought up Jupiter and spoke the Milky Way into existence, the king of all heaven, the heir of all things, came and took on our experience and our humanity and lived our life. And he had skin and bones and blood cells and eyes and ears and everything. The one who was powerful over all became the most vulnerable and the most needy of all as a little unborn clump of cells in a womb. The sustainer of life became dependent from his life on what his mother could provide for him through a cord. The one who has always lived started an experience of human life. This is what we call the incarnation. It's a big word, but it literally means God in meat. It's God taking on, thanks bro, God taking on human flesh. God becoming like one of us. And it's a mystery as well. This is nothing like the interaction of the older Greek gods and and kind of the gods of mythology with earth. They came to conquer. They came to pillage and rape and steal and take whatever they could for themselves. Jesus entered our world not through some kind of space-time portal like in some Avengers movie or something, but he came through a birth canal like we did. 
This is the God who comes to show his undeserved kindness, his grace to his subjects at great cost to himself. This is the God who comes to serve by seeking and saving the lost. This is the God who comes and he lives his life as a man of sorrows, one who people rejected, one who is familiar with pain and suffering, one who lived in poverty, one who didn't even own any property, one who barely owned the clothes on his back dependent on others, vulnerable and needy. And, and his life of pain and suffering culminates in a gruesome death on a Roman cross in his rescue mission for me and for you. The great mystery of the gospel is that the womb of Mary is not even the lowest place to which he went. He went, I mean, that, that was just a step on the way, Philippians 2 tells us. He'll go even lower. He'll stoop lower out of love for you. Descending even to the pit of hell to show us and offer his grace to us. God's favour, his grace is gloriously free to you, but it cost him so much. And so here to close, we return to the Beatles and we return to Stormzy as we consider how when we're troubled, when we're perplexed and when we're confused by what life throws at us, how are we to respond Well, Gabriel responds to Mary's question. How will this be with an emphatic answer? Mary, no word from God will ever fail. Or you could say, nothing, nothing, nothing will be impossible for God and with God. There's nothing that God can't do. And what he says he will do, you can bet your life on the fact that God will do it. And Mary gets this little encouragement for her and her situation with this fact that Elizabeth, this old lady who just couldn't get pregnant, she's, uh, she's miraculously pregnant by the work of God. And so do you see Mary's reply? This is what I want us to really hone in on, guys, and what I just want us to take away. Mary says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Or you could say this. Let it be as you have said. Let it be to me as you have said. If this is what God wants, then I'm in. I'll do it. Mary isn't to be worshipped. She's not to be prayed to. She's not to be idolised. But she is a great example to us of humble, God-fearing faith. I am God's servant, she says. I commit it to what my master wants, so let it be, as God says. She recognises, you see, that the circumstances of life are not what life throws at her as if the, there's this impersonal universe that's ultimately in control of what happens in our lives or not. No, but she knows that it's what the God of all grace and truth gives to her. And so she humbly accepts and she humbly receives and she believes and she follows that path that God has laid out. Now listen, the outlook for Mary immediately following this is not good. It is not good. It's not an easy road. Even if things are going to come good for her in the long run, she has the shame and the dishonor in her day and age of being pregnant out of, uh, out of marriage and out of, uh, out of that family unit. She comes so close to being divorced by Joseph and needs a miracle in his life to stop him from taking that course of action. She's even at risk of, being, uh, of receiving the death penalty for adultery in her day and time. But at this point in the moment, she says, God, let it be to me as you have said. However crazy it sounds to me right now, however difficult it may well be, 
God, let it be to me as you have said. For no word of God's will ever fail. Now, when you think about it, what's the difference between Beatles and Mary? It's that as you have said, isn't it? It's let it be as you have said. That makes it radically different. The Beatles, I guess their hope and comfort, I don't know their hearts and minds, but I guess it's offered in all of the substance and reality of a dream. To, 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 you find yourself in times of trouble where you've got a daydream to find some strength and some hope to go on and, and to give you some comfort, and maybe that will just help you get through the day. But Mary's hope and her faith is far more radical and far more grounded in reality. It has so much greater substance to it. And it's because we, along with Mary, have a personal God who has shown us grace in history in Jesus Christ. And that's where it's different to the Stormzy spirituality, which is just this kind of vague, generic idea of the grace of God, but no, it's rooted in an encounter with a real person who is living and active and comes to us as the grace of God. So when the questions are closing in and you're asking yourself, what's going on here? Why is this so tough? Why has God brought this about? Why is he allowing this? When it seems that God has an interesting plan for your life, What do you do then? With Mary, the Christian, can entrust ourselves, can entrust our path to the God who not only came and lived our experience of life on earth, but also gave his life for us. God, this is difficult for me. But you have done and you are doing something in history through Jesus. And I trust that your promises and the truth of your words are true. No word of yours will ever fail. And God, I am your servant. So let it be as you have said. And he who gave up his own son for us all, how we not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Let it be as our Heavenly Father has said. Let's pray. Lord, let it be as you have said. Your grace has come down to us in the person of your son who lived life for us, who lived life like us but perfectly. We thank you for your grace. Lord, for any today who have not yet had a personal and a real and a transforming and life-reforming encounter with Jesus, I pray that they would do so, even in the quietness of their heart this moment. For those of us who, who, who have had that, Lord, in the past, Lord, would we, would we have it afresh now as we, as we open our hearts to you? Whatever the circumstances of our life this morning. And we pray and we say with Mary, let it be as you have said, for you are good. Your word does not fail. And we trust in you as our only hope in life and death. Lord, thank you for your grace. May we live in it and be transformed by it today, we pray. Amen.